You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. Zowzers, welcome to the After Laugh Pre Laugh. I'm here with Tommy Wakefield. I like my voice today. Usually Sounds I don't, good. I'm, but it's yeah. a little bit. I, I, you know what? I screamed because someone broke into my car, and uh, just a little bit of a little bit of hoarseness. You know what I mean? Nice, a little like bit a, of yeehaw. In yeah, there. a little bit of like rasp. Makes yeah. Me um. So we we missed a show Thursday. Uh, so my many, fault. Tommy went to the North Carolina Comedy Festival. Yes. Uh, which how did it go? Well, it went really good. How many I, sets did you do? I did two a part of the festival and then a couple little things on the side. Just, and it uh, was like a competition, like if you win, you get like a... Not a competition, just like a showcase. Okay. Yeah, it was for, all, for all the big agents in North Carolina who might <laughs> it be was, looking to make TV shows? It was for one uh, America's Got Talent agent was there, but <laughs> <laughs> it's fine. I had fun. And that's like my home scene, so I got to go see all my friends, and uh-huh. I, they didn't see me in like two years, so I'm way better than I was. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, they hadn't yeah, seen me, like, so oh, they're shit, like, oh, shit, dude, oh, you're, really... wow. you're not terrible anymore, Tommy. Good for you. <laughs> exactly. And then you had some people, uh, did you have any ladies back there in North Carolina checking you out? Uh, I was, it's right next to where I went to college. So I took a little 30 minute lift to this college thing and saw some old friends. You know what? You're still young enough. That's not creepy. I do a college I thing. I am one year. I'm yeah. one year away from it being too yeah. creepy. 24. You can still do it. I show up and I still know all the seniors. You yeah. know what I mean? But 25 then started like, yeah, yeah, man? totally, totally. Um, it didn't feel weird. It felt like, I mean, they all knew me. So they were like, yeah, hey, yeah, yeah. come here. Yeah. You were the returning, the conquering hero. I didn't talk to the young ones, only the people I knew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're too cool for school. <laughs> um, so this episode is with Dan Loria. Now, Dan Loria is, uh, I've done three plays with him. I did two off-Broadway shows with him and I did a Broadway show with him. He's kind of like my acting mentor, which is like sort of my alter ego of my life. Like I'm not always just a jackass. I'm like a serious guy. I cry and I. He I has such scream. like weight and gravity to everything he yeah. says. Like I can't even imagine him as a kid. I feel like even as a kid, <laughs> he was mentoring people well, like twice as age. Yeah, and if, and Dan Laurie, you most people probably don't know the name, but he was the dad on the Wonder Years. And if you see his face, he's got this big ex-marine bulldog face. You'd definitely recognize him. He's an amazing guy. Mm. He has lots of great stories. I kind of feel like he's the type of guy you could have back multiple times. Oh, absolutely. And have like a different story. So for people who maybe would be more interested in, in uh, hearing about acting stories, I mean, I think I think this is a good direction for the podcast. I want to get everyone from the show Lombardi that I did, because uh, everyone on that show is now hugely famous, except for me. <laughs> Judith Light, obviously. Tommy Kale. If you don't know Tommy Kale, he directed Hamilton, and now he has a show on FX called Fosse. Uh, Christopher Sullivan, who is... Gal- uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Wow. He was Taser Face. And Incredible. also, uh, This Is Us. And Rob Riley, who's on Dynasty and was uh, in that VH1 show about, I don't know, basketball players. Um, <laughs> that was terrible. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, check it out. Dan Laurie is awesome. And uh, and we're back. And this is the first one we did inside the studio. We didn't do it outside because shit got fucked up on the, uh, on the mixer mm-hmm. for some reason. Yeah. Anyway, guys, anyway, remember, rate us on iTunes, five stars, send Tom messages, tom at laughfactory.com, <laughs> hit on them, flirt with them, and uh, all right, hope you enjoy this episode. Bye-bye. It's the after laugh, after laugh, welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh, <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to The Afterlife. This is a very special episode, and I, I say that sometimes, but actually I mean it this time. Special for a lot of reasons. Number one is that my computer and my uh, podcast machine, I think, overheated or broke in my yard, so uh, so we had to come over to the Laugh Factory studio, and I'm here with um, a good friend of mine, and I say uh, a friend really, really sincerely. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're good friends. We're good yeah. friends. I've known you for a long time. Uh, Dan Loria. So if you don't know Dan Loria, you've been hiding under a rock. But, <laughs> but Dan Loria is, I mean, you've been, you've been working in the business for how long now just as an oh, actor? My SAG card says 47 years. 47 years. My yeah. God. It's like I know. twice as long as I've been alive. <laughs> I <You laughs> wish. Yeah, hey, now. So, um, so uh, anyway, uh, just to tell people, I, I know Dan because we, we met um, doing a play. 
Ears on a Beetle. It's called Ears on a Beetle. It was about the FBI files on John Lennon. Uh, a guy named Mark St. Germain. St. Germain wrote it. and it Because his son, Dan St. Germain, is actually a really kind of well-known comic now and yeah, writer. He's, he's doing, doing great. Really well. yeah. Yeah. Um, so Mark St. Germain, he, he, it was his concept. He wrote it from the redacted FBI files, which I think had been released a year before or something. Right. Um, what was the story of that? How, how did that? Well, it was about the two FBI officers who followed John Lennon. Yeah. And the only thing that wasn't in... Uh, you know, the Right of Information Act out there was the lawyer who defended John Lennon actually won the case by presenting a letter that was sent to him by an FBI officer, but he promised not to disclose it until that FBI officer passed uh-huh. away. Oh, wow. And that lawyer was the producer of the play. And remember, he had the letter. So the oh, one point wow. that wasn't out there... He had proof. So everything in that play was factual. I mean, they dramatize yeah. it. Yeah, I, of course. I remember your phone call. Yeah. Remember that? Was that, the, the real, was that the real transcript of the phone call? Well, what it was was based on a, a telegram from the FBI office in Washington. They sent a letter to the FBI office in New York saying, we need a flyer on John Lennon for the Republican convention in Miami. That's right. Right? Yeah. And everything on the flyer was correct. The height, the weight, the hair color. But they had the wrong photo. Oh, it yeah. It wasn't John Lennon. It was David Peel. David Peel, the musician. Yeah. Right. So somebody in the New York office sent a letter back <laughs> saying you have the wrong picture. It was a telegram. And the response back, signed by J. Edgar Hoover, which was in, in the files that were yeah. in the lobby of the theater, is David Peel one of the Beatles too? <laughs> and everyone oh thought we God. were making fun. That's so but funny. It wasn't. It was well, I mean, that's 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 interesting about when you do a play or anything that's fictional, like historical yeah. fiction, is that people who aren't privy to what really happened, they just assume it's going to be fictionalized. Right. You know. Right. I think that was the same thing with maybe Lombardi and certainly with Bronx Bombers. If people yeah. didn't know about the 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 big dugout fight between Reggie Jackson and. Um, and Keith Knobs, what was the scary? Yeah, Billy Martin. Yeah. The people that know about that fight, they're just going, oh, this is a story that they made up. Right. As opposed to, no, it was. Luckily, in that case, there was film of it. So yeah. people could, nowadays, you Google it and check it out. Yeah, yeah, but then people have to do like research to watch the show. So yeah, yeah that, that play, it was funny because at the time, I didn't think about the idea of commercial theater and what it meant to be in a commercial off Broadway run yeah. produced by Daryl Roth. So I was like, oh, I'm doing a play in the little theater. But actually, there was money in it, and people yeah. were hoping it did well, and it just didn't really do well. Do you yeah, think- the reviews weren't bad, but we didn't do as well. I mean, we had some full nights on the weekends, but yeah. it was sparse during the week. Why do you think that was? Yeah, it was probably, it was probably my enough. acting. You know, I think yeah. people thought, uh, like you said, that we were going to dramatize it too much. But remember yeah. the talkbacks we had, though? Uh, yeah. We had some good people come. And uh, the lawyer who defended him was there a lot. I forget his name. He was yeah. the producer. And uh, Dick Cavett came a yeah. couple times. You know. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So so we did that play, and then we, we kept in touch. And then, um, yeah, we, we and, and you came to comedy shows at that point. Yeah, and I it, saw you when you were terrible. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no, you, you like said, to rub that in. Doing this? <laughs> and then five years later, I couldn't believe how good you got at it. You know? Do you I remember mean, this? You said you was going to take time. You got to learn it, and yeah, you, you did put in your dues. Yeah, I think when I started, I was just trying to do pratfalls and figure out a way how to make a pratfall into a joke. Like, right. do a pratfall and reverse engineer that into somehow a joke. And uh, yeah, but you came, you supported. That was yeah. nice. Yeah. And, um Hopefully I'm hopefully I'm a lot better now, but I don't, I don't well, know. I think you wouldn't be still doing it if you weren't better. Or I I'm think just the guy, stubborn. In, in this in entertainment, after a while, if you don't raise your own bar, yeah, you, you end up quitting. Yeah. You leave because yeah. you you may think you're good, but sooner or later the reaction of the audience is the final test. Yeah, and when you don't, you know, you know on stage, you know when you have them. Well, you know in stand up. Hey, you always think you're good, but there's nights you know it yeah. works. Yeah. Those are the magic nights. And you get a few of those, you stick with it. Yeah. If you don't, sooner or later you'll quit. Yeah, and I imagine with, I mean, I, my feelings with acting, there's a little less 
biofeedback with that. You can you can probably be a terrible actor and work forever and on never film, know. On film, but not in t- not on stage. You don't think you can be a stage actor with just a great voice and just technique your way through and really have not an emotional Yeah, you might be able body. to make a living, but I don't think you'll yeah. last too long. You know, you might hang around for 10 years and Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So um, you won't you won't stick around too much longer. So we we kept in touch, and then there was a a, a guy named Tommy Kale, Thomas Kale. Does he go by Thomas with most people now? No, I don't. Know. He better that way. for us. He's always Tommy. Yeah. So he he uh, he's now doing a show called Fosse on FX. It's called Fosse, right? Yeah, he directed a little play. What was the name of it? I Hamilton. think it was called. It was a Hamil- uh, Is Ham- that Hamilton. Hamilton. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he um, so I auditioned in L.A to play Paul Horning in a play called Lombardi about Vince Lombardi. And uh, it was my first audition. It was in L.A. And it was just like, you know, it was basically just me doing like Matthew McConaughey. Just, yeah. like, just like that guy. Yeah. Just like, yeah. hey, man, charming, southern, kind of like a little, a, good sh- a little shady. Um, so uh, I had one audition, and he was like, great. You know, he says there, he shakes his knee and shakes his foot, like looks at yeah. you. And I'm like, oh, he hated me. One audition be, you know, I got yeah, the offer. So I called, uh, and I think I was one of the first people to audition too. Yeah. So I called Dan. I go, hey, Dan, you know, they're doing a play about Vince Lombardi. Have you ever thought that you'd be, I think he'd be great for the part. And you were like, so tell me what happened then. You, yeah. <laughs> do you remember that call? Well, I, I know there were a couple of things that maybe you don't know. Is one, my agents brought me up for the part before Tommy was involved. Oh, wow. And the uh, producer... Tony Montoro, he was, he said, oh man, he looks like him and I like his work. And the theater owners wouldn't accept me. They wanted a movie star. They wanted Martin Martin Sheen, Sheen, who was a little too old and who said, I can't do eight of these a week. And I think Anthony LaPaglia's name was mentioned. But he had just finished a Broadway play and he was working on a series. Yeah. So anyway, but I was out. Then they hired Tommy. Yeah. Tommy insisted I do it. And Tommy knew you from where? Uh, well, I knew Tommy from before in the Heights. I yeah. knew him and Lynn. I gave Tommy the whole, my apartment in New York. Yeah, when he was like like a, a college kid at Vassar yeah, or something? before they started rehearsing in the Heights. Yeah. So Tommy, you know. And how'd you fl- meet Tommy? That's, an, I was doing the play The Guys. Okay, about oh. the fireman who died, you know, on the died, died 9-11. Yeah. I was doing it downtown. Mm-hmm. And Ann Nelson, who wrote it, told Tommy to come and see me. She knew him. I don't know where she met him. But Tommy came, and the night he came was the night Danica McKellar, Winnie Cooper, came. Yeah. So we all went out for Vincent's Clam Bar. And, of course, you know, I'm just figuring, this young guy's here to meet Danica. He don't give a care about me. And I asked him, to, you know, he told me he had a company. I said, you do any old plays? He said, <laughs> oh, we did one last year. I said, waste of time. And I ignored him. Because <laughs> I only do new ones. New place. And then he dropped a knife on this floor, one of those big heavy knives at the yeah. Italian restaurant, and made a loud noise. And Tommy said, I'm all right, I'm all right. Yeah. And I said, what movie is that from? And he said, it's a wonderful life. And I said, here's my apartment. You need any money? You're going to make it. And yeah. that's how I met Tom. I'm serious. Ask Tommy. That's, that's a great because story. Because he yeah. knew that old thing. Anyway, he stayed in my apartment. And, uh, you know, whenever I'd come to New York, he he didn't stay long, about six months maybe. Yeah. But one time I came in and he brought me over to a bookstore. Yeah. And they were rehearsing a number that was eventually in in the, in the Heights. Heights yeah. I never saw any. And if you don't know, in the Heights, in the Heights was a, was a was a Broadway you won best show. Play. It won, won best, best musical. It won best musical. Yeah, yeah. So it was a hit, not like Hamilton, obviously, but no, it was a hit. Yeah, but a solid. Yeah, you know. And um, I I just never saw. I don't know anything about musicals, and I I never saw energy like that. And it was the only time I think I've ever seen Tommy without a smile on his face. I said. This was later on. I said, what happened? What's the matter? And he was like, well, they want to give us the money for off-Broadway, but they, you know, they want us to look for a lead. And I said, Tommy, they replaced that kid who turned out to be Lynn. Lin-Manuel Miranda, yeah. I said, you're next. It just goes down the line. Yeah. I said, tell them I'll loan you the money. Do another backers audition. You know? And you did that? Well, I would have. But a week later, Tommy called and said, hey, they backed down. Oh, 
I so think, he's he's made a stand for Lynn then. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Tommy and Lynn, they yeah, weren't going to, you know, they're solid. So, uh, and then it went up, you know, and I never had to loan them the money. I would have yeah. because I knew it was the wrong thing to do. So Tommy and I were always close. So he fought for me from Lombardi. So he yeah. was the one who told me, I got we're gonna the guy playing Horning's an old friend. You did a play with him. He said Bill Dawes. Oh, he'd seen that play. No, but he you yeah. told him about oh. it, or he found out from your agent that we had yeah. worked together. So yeah. I said Bill Dawes. Oh my God! Oh, you just ruined the play. Well, you just killed it. You know, <laughs> you couldn't find another actor in New York. No, I told him, "Are you kidding, Billy?" I said, "Matter of fact, I was right." What I said. He said, what's it like working with Bill Dorr? I said, uh, he's very intelligent. He'll ask questions, but they're good questions. And I'm telling you now, he'll never miss a performance. And you never did. Oh, I never did. Did you miss a performance? No. Judith missed a week because she so, shot a pilot. Yeah. And Chris Sullivan missed a few he now and the then, flu, which yeah. I think he kind of worked out with Brad Schmidt. I think. Brad yeah, that's understood. you know you're an understudy. I was an understudy before. If you're an yeah. understudy for like we were doing for nine months, yeah, you want to give the understudy oh, a shot. Counting, yeah, when we did yeah. That so we, we yeah. Anyway, uh, so we did this show Lombardi with Judith Light, Dan Laurie, Chris Sullivan, who's now on This Is Us, which is like yeah. the biggest show in the past ten years. Um, Rob Riley, who's on Dynasty, yeah, and yeah. Keith Nobbs, who's now a graduate student, yeah, but still an actor. He's at you know? Stanford. Yeah, he just did something, but. You know, Keith worked probably more than all of us. I know. You know he went crazy. right into another series after that. He, yeah. You know, but he he wanted a, a more secure life, I guess. Yeah. He he told me, and, you know, this is something I want to talk to you about. And we'll, we'll get back to, like, your, your story and your origin story before this. But uh, I'd rather talk about this stuff. <laughs> but Keith was, uh, Keith told me that he was at an audition one time, and there was an actor. Who, I don't know the actor's name. You might know me. He was, I guess he was in the 70s. It was a callback for an off-Broadway play by uh, who's the guy? This is our youth. Who's Kent Lonnerin? Yeah, uh, off-Broadway play. And he was in there, and the guy was like nervous. He goes, "Man, I need this play because I need the health insurance." And Keith was like, "You're a th- Tony-winning actor. Right, right. You're seven years old, and you're worried about." How-. He's like, "What the fuck is this? <laughs> the Ghost of Christmas Future?" So he said that was a moment where he said, "You know what? I'm I'm." I'm going to look at something else. Yeah, well, else. there's no guarantees in any of this. Yeah. Know? When I first went to New York, I worked at a restaurant across from the Museum of Natural History. And uh, Bruce Willis and Eddie O'Neill actually was the bartender around the corner of O'Neill's Balloon, but he would come in at the end of the night. Sometimes he'd take a shift. So it was Bruce Willis, Eddie O'Neill. John Goodman was the doorman, and I washed dishes in the back. Holy shit. And I can tell you right now, there were people there that were more talented than any of us and they didn't get the shot we got you know? yeah yeah so. well i mean that's easy to say but you guys are obviously uh, proving there was some yeah no we uh, bruce willis was a hell of a stage actor Most oh people, really was oh he? yeah i, I thought he was that. the best of all of us huh. i mean john goodman i i don't know john as well as i know eddie and bruce but um you know john goodman could sing he sang well he's on the original cast of big river really so, yeah and he did a lot of commercials so john did well when we were were younger plus he's just talented yeah but bruce willis was a hell of a stage actor but know. you know what was he gonna do turn down all that money to be an action hero of course none not. of us would so. yeah, yeah 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 so um yeah so then Lombard, that was our second thing together oh we did the exonerated together yeah, as well exonerated which right. people probably don't know about that it was a play based it was all primary sources which basically means transcripts from mm-hmm. interviews and court trials of people who were exonerated from death row based on new DNA. So most of these people had been on death row. I, I don't know if all of them were exonerated, but... Well, well, the one in the play was 22 years before they found out he was innocent. Yeah. And that woman, they executed her husband, and then they found out neither of them did it. And then oh they couldn't be paroled because there was no parole for somebody yeah. convicted in, of a crime where a policeman was killed even though they didn't commit the crime but they had already been convicted it took another four years to change the law yeah Yeah. the the weirdest thing about that play was these people would get exonerated by dna and it would take them two years to get out of prison i know after that like ah like why is how the legal system is fucked i'm not gonna get (laughs) into i'm not gonna get into that too much but um so that was that was our third thing that we worked on together and we haven't seen you for a while now uh and i know a lot of people a lot of young kids like Tommy Wakefield, our producer, who they don't know shit now because they're always on their phone and looking at Netflix. But um, uh, 
I want to go back to so Wonder Years was obviously your your big break that got you into for sort television, of yeah. The collective unconscious of America. Like if I ever say Dan Loria and people who don't know you, I go the dad in the Wonder Years, like oh yeah, and they light up. So um, that, so, that's what that see that's what agents do. That's why they like guys like us because yeah. they don't have to work. Yeah, somebody calls, they say Dan Loria, they say who. The guy on the Wonder Years, and they'll say, "Oh no, he's too old. He's too handsome. He's too ugly." You know, they don't have to work. They just yeah. say the dad from the Wonder Years. You know? So that's why agents like it. That's great. Now, and and uh, so you need a reference point. Of course, of yeah. course. One day I'll have one, maybe. The guy from the podcast. Anyway, so uh, the um, your, your journey into acting was a little bit different, obviously, than a lot of people. I went to you know acting school like a dick, and then I was like, mm. anyway. you went to Princeton. You were. Uh, Aer- yeah, but so, so right? you're, yeah. but your your um your foray into acting you let's go back to to the Dan Laurie story. I know you're like I don't want to talk about this, but come on, old man River, let's give me well, some stories. So you, you grew up where? Grew up on Long Island. On Long Island. Yeah, born in Brooklyn, grew up on Long Island. Mm-hmm. I was a jock. Like you, you. Yeah, you were jock. You were a football player, yeah, right? I yeah. went to school. What did you play in football? Uh, I I went to Southern Connecticut. I was a linebacker. So my yeah. schol- my little scholarship there was a linebacker. Yeah. Oh, you played all through college. Oh yeah. Four years. Were yeah. you were you good? I made all league twice. I mean, yeah. That's first. I, yeah, I couldn't play college. At yeah, Big ten. But at, and did you have brothers? And so, you have a brother, right? I had a brother. He you passed. had a brother. That's right. Yeah. Okay. And um, so when you were done, and at this point, had you been doing any theater? Had you been thinking about it? No, I had an aunt that lived with us when I was younger that liked old movies, so she would... So she indoctrinated you know, the yeah, old movie? Yeah, she would wake me up in the middle of the night and go, James Cagney, and we'd go down and watch the Late Late Show, and, you know... Yeah, 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 yeah. So I knew. So when I went to college, I didn't, you know, I was a jock. You were a jock. Yeah, and uh, I was telling a joke before football practice, and a little old lady came over with her cane, tapped me on the shoulder pad, and said, would you like to be in a play... What? And I said, you know, I always wanted to do that. And she said, I know. And I said, how <laughs> would you know? And she said, because I'm the greatest acting teacher in the world. And wow. it was Constance Well. She had started the Yale Dramat. The Yale Dramat? Did you say yeah. Dramat? Yeah. What is Dramat? That's what they call it. <laughs> it's the drama, graduate drama she school. She started Yale graduate acting program? Yeah. Which is, of course, legendary. Which, which the most is legendary. the only school I know of. I mean, I'm sure there are other where the graduate program was started before the undergraduate program. Interesting. It was started at the law school. She was hired as speech teacher. And she said, these lawyers are so stiff. Yeah. We should have an acting class. That's great. Yeah. And now, what her, year was that? Do you remember that must have been? The, oh, in the 30s, because in her first class was Raymond Massey. And the only film that her name is on credited is Young Abe Lincoln. Uh, with Raymond Massey, or is it huh. Abe Lincoln in Illinois? I get the Henry Fonda one. It wasn't Abe Lincoln Vampire Hunter. No, no, no. not that one. <laughs> but it says acting dialogue coach Constance Welsh. So how did she? She just saw you and just thought you had a presence. She needed or a big ugly guy to play Caliban <laughs> in the Tempest. So she, she didn't. So she brought me over actually to a student production of a Thousand Clowns, and I got not the lead, but I got the part of the brother, and then I played Caliban for her. And was this your senior year? How how uh, deep junior year. junior year? Okay. Yeah. So when you first started acting, we were like, "Oh my God, this is this is it." Were you just like, "This is a good way to meet chicks," or what was what was the? Thinking? I I had a ball. Yeah. From day one, and luckily I had her. She wasn't a method acting teacher. Yeah. You know the answers were always in the lines. Yeah. You know I remember once some kid was trying to tell her what i'm feeling and she banged her cane on the floor and she said i don't give a damn what you're feeling you didn't pay to get in yeah i only care what the audience is feeling yeah stuff like that sinks in you know it's not therapy you want therapy go to a psychiatrist you know (laughs) so you know how i work we learn our lines we work we work and we find stuff that's why i like working with actors like you because when something goes you almost pray things go wrong Oh yeah, because getting out of it, especially in rehearsal, if you you got the will to just keep going, you end up using all these things. And a good director like Tom McHale will keep that, keep that. Let's yeah. work that in, you know. Yeah. So uh, she was more that way instead of what are you feeling inside, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah. So um, so you're doing the you're doing the plays, then you graduate with your with your football 
all league title. And then, uh, and then, what does life look like? Like, what do you do? You're, you end up joining the Marine. You, yeah, I was you, a Marine. I was you weren't drafted, Marine. right? No, you, you, no. you, you joined. Yeah, we. So that was the next. What, what made you go? Hey, let me, let me do this. Well, it was, you know, it was the '60s, and there was a lot of protests. And you were not. I graduated '70. There was still a lot. Most protests were at their height, and we in New Haven, and. You know, you just had a uh, feeling, especially where I grew up on Long Island, whether it was right or wrong, it was n- you served your country. Yeah. I never understood people who blame the people who serve. You don't like where, what we're doing? Vote somebody else in. I don't mm. want to live in a country where some guy with a bayonet says stabs you if you don't like what i'm doing yeah yeah yeah. i like it that we if we're you don't want to be in afghanistan vote somebody else in yeah you know let's change it that so i i didn't necessarily agree with what was going on mm-hmm. but i wasn't going to put down anybody away so you weren't part of the sort of counterculture revolution of the 60s and 70s with free love and hippie and music although you're a very liberal guy so it's a sort of a weird oxymoron because yeah i have my international views are a little more conservative than you would think but yeah. socially i'm very liberal yeah you know? so um when you joined the marines and did you go yeah, to- i was the only liberal at the marine corps and that, and that, it's a little odd. Remember most, General Fulford came to Lombardi. You met yeah, him. Yeah. yeah. I will say this. When I went to uh, uh, Iraq, and I remember thinking, because at that time I was, I was very, very liberal. As Tommy knows, I've become a little bit more in the middle, <laughs> which we can talk about some other time. But um, yeah. I'm still liberal. But, but when I was over there, I was like, these guys are going to hate me because there's going to be all these Republicans and all these super conservatives who are like, and they That's, all told me, they're like, look, this war is bullshit. Yeah, and when I left, I remember the sergeant said, "I forget what you, I guess this was right before two thousand eight, two thousand seven. He goes, he goes, hey, do me a favor, we get back to the states." I said, "What?" He goes, "Vote." Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's the best. Of that, well, that's what we're fighting for. Yeah, yeah. I I always tell everybody, I never met a marine that wanted to be in South Vietnam. We yeah. wanted to be in North Vietnam, or we wanted to be out of there. Yeah. I mean, so what did that look like for you? What what was I, I don't think I've ever talked to you about the Vietnam War. What was your experience? You you were I, I you were, had a very limited experience. We were, we had orders to go to Vietnam. They they stopped us on Okinawa because they were pulling the Marines out. And at the very end of my tour, I only went in for a couple of weeks to teach South Vietnamese how to call our Marine pilots because pilots out of Thailand were still doing uh, low coverage. Yeah. And uh, then we got hit at a place called An Lock, and then they said, What do you mean the, you got hit? They hit it. That we were under fire. So and then did they, you get injured from it? A little. I got a little bit in my leg, but I didn't have. I didn't have the experience like most of my friends had. They were yeah. a year, year and a half. My one friend, Pete, who you met, he yeah. came to Lombardy. He was two tours. Jeez. You know what is was, what, what? How long is a tour? A year. A year. Okay. Yeah. So I didn't have anything. What. You know, I mean, I'm proud I served and I was willing to go. And we all, all the Marines volunteered in my class that I knew. Yeah. But um, I didn't have the experience that uh, I never went on a patrol. You know, you watch Platoon? Yeah, of course. No, I never did that. Yeah. And everybody I knew went, hit some kind of patrol. Yeah. Yeah. My buddy Pete had the worst job. He was a CB. He drove a truck that said ammunition on the side. He <laughs> 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 with a Marine sitting next to him. Oh, you know, so uh, and so when you came back to the states from that, I mean, the reaction must have been really bizarre for you to see people be castigated and denigrated for serving their country. Yeah, it, it was. It was. It was uh, petering out. By the time I got back, and you know, and I, I went to my old high school. I substitute taught for a year, coach football. Then I went to UConn for graduate school. For graduate school for what? Uh, my MFA is in playwriting. Really? Oh. What, did you think those plays just came out of nowhere? I actually know what I'm doing, structurally. I yeah, can yeah, tell yeah. you when something's wrong structurally. I think I've only seen one play that you did, and it was called... Your memory is so much better than mine. I don't know how that's possible. But the play... Less that, drugs. You know? uh, <laughs> can we do some weed after the show? Yeah. So um, the show... I feel, you said the guys... Dinner with the boys? Dinner with the boys. Dinner with the yeah. boys, yeah. Big hit in New Jersey, came to New York... Yeah, it was it's, a mob play. It was a mob play. Jer- yeah, everybody in Jersey had a running suit. Yeah, yeah. You know, gold chains. They all <laughs> thought it was real. They, they loved it. It yeah, was yeah, a yeah. spoof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They thought it was, so, so it was about a, a group of like mob guys who were kind of in hiding, 
and they end up eating. They had to eat the guy they were supposed to kill. That was their punishment. <laughs> so it's all about how they like use their Italian cuisine to like, oh, this. Let me tell you, his liver, the oh, way yeah. I prepared it. Yeah, it's almost kind of gay play. They like living <laughs> together. No, it was great. I loved yeah. it. So, um, so what got you? So you went into the playwriting. Did you think that you want to be an actor at this point? Oh yeah. Yeah, I only was writing because uh, Miss Welsh, while I was in the service, she would send me plays. She would oh. encourage me to write. Then I wrote a play, and I submitted it to UConn, and I got a uh, grant to go there. Okay. so That's a three-year program, I imagine. Yeah. Two-year. Two-year program, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so, and then I don't know what it is now. It was then. Yeah. And when you're out of then, I mean, you're out of that with a playwriting degree, an ex, that's so bizarre. You must be the only person who's a Marine corvette and also has an mfa in playwriting yeah and then got a job washing dishes you know that's that was the hard and that was in new york yeah so was that like cared about those degrees nobody cared about whether you served or not you know yeah you you audition i worked at theaters so i used to think i was really a good actor because all these theater groups would ask me to be in a play yeah but they would also ask me to build a light grid so I really got a rep because I could build light grids. So half those little dumps in New York, I built a light grid in there. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah. You're like the tech guy, and you were also like the second lead or Oh, yeah. The, the West Bank downstairs. Yeah. Steve, I was there when Steve first went in there. I built oh, wow. that light grid down there. Yeah. And what was your what was your first play in New York? I mean, at this because at this point, I imagine first play in New York. At this point, are you ever are you unsure about what life is and what the point is and what you're doing? I imagine you you get out of Vietnam, you get a playwriting degree, you're in New York washing dishes. You must be at some point like, what the fuck am I doing? Actually, we were having you know, it's not hindsight. We really were having a good time because it was much different than it is now. You could actually sort of live. With a small job doing plays right. in New York. Right. We did plays where we didn't get paid. Yeah. And then we had jobs like waiters and that. And you, they would, the owners would work around our schedule. Yeah. You know, they did if you had a play, you went to the day shift. If you didn't have a play, you worked the night shift of Joe Allen's, places like that. Yeah. And it was, and people came to those plays, you know. And uh, we did one play, uh, Vesper's Eve. It was such, it was... <laughs> It's a funny story because Eddie O'Neill. Okay, Ed, Eddie O'Neill. That's Ed O'Neill, as Al, in Al Bundy from Married to and yeah, Al Modern, Modern Family. Family, who's really a fine actor. Also a, a BJJ guy. black belt, which people don't oh, know. Yeah. And a, one, a great was a great handball player until his knees went. But uh, Eddie uh, was doing a play by Louis Larusso on Broadway with Danny Aiello mm-hmm. called Knockout, and it was a bomb. They had a thousand seats, and they couldn't get twenty people to come. Yeah. I was doing a play by Louis LaRusso off, off Broadway off, called off. Vesper's Eve, 99 seats. It was the biggest hit in New York. You oh, could, wow. Elia Kazan came, Jose Ferrer came. Wow. It was amazing. And, uh, Ed, and But we weren't getting paid, and Eddie was. And Eddie actually lent me the money to pay my rent for the whole for a while. Oh, no, oh, you can't God. leave the play. Yeah, yeah. You know? But back then, you could get a national commercial and... You could live for. I did a total cereals commercial. I was terrible at commercials. Total cereal. cereal to, oh, total. I think I cereal. remember that. Yeah. yeah. And it ran two and a half years. Jesus. So I didn't have, that was enough to pay to rent and eat. For two years? Yeah. And Jeez. all I had, did was plays. I mean, yeah. most of them were horrible. You know, yeah. I wouldn't invite anybody. But every once in a while, you got a good one like Vesper's Eve. And Did Vesper's Eve, did it change your trajectory, change your life right away? Or was it. Uh, right. Uh, it, what changed was instead of getting offered jobs where I didn't get paid, I was getting jobs where I did get paid. Yeah, yeah. You know, a soap opera. I met Mary Jo Slater oh, right. and yeah. Christian Slater. So one tell me about the soap because I, I met Judith Light. That's right, because I did One Life to Live too. I remember. That. So, uh, so tell me about the soap opera. You're doing One Life to Live, and you were playing a pimp. Is that right? I was Judith Light's pimp. That and that's where you met her. Yes. Now, Dan. I've always had a crush on Judith Light. So does everybody else. Everybody else does. I do too. But Still to this day. I think she has a crush on me too a little bit. Well, so, you're luckier than I am. <laughs> so um, you must have been in love with her when you were working with her. Yeah. Did you guys ever date? You ever no, tried to? No, because uh, who was the, oh, the head bad guy was a guy named Nick Costas, good actor. And he had one smart henchman and one 
gorilla. I was the gorilla. Uh-huh. The smart guy was Bobby Desiderio, who met Judith and married, and they've been married 30 oh, years. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And they're great together. They're wonderful people. And Bobby was a hell of an actor, and he even had his own series for a little oh, while. Oh, really? Yeah, but he's more into writing now, but he, he was a really fine actor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Judith, you work with Judith. She's the best. Yeah, I'm the best. No, it's it's funny because so when we did uh we did Lombardi on Broadway, which people listening to this didn't see, I'm guessing, but people might have heard of it because the play. I mean, they they're doing a new production now. Oh, currently. they yeah, it's been done a lot. Um, but uh, I remember when I heard first of all, I heard they were going for big names for for uh, Lombardi for Vince Lombardi and Marie, and so first is like. I mean, I love you, Dan, but then there were Martin Sheen. I'm like, oh, fuck, Martin Sheen. We'll yeah. We've got some people in the seats. Uh, and then they were going for some other names for uh, Marie that were actors I'd known, film actors, uh, and I was kind of excited about. And yeah. then they said, Judith Light, I said, oh, the chick from Who's the Boss? Like, yeah, I know. Who, uh, is she a good actress? And I was, I I, was like, I got to oh. tell you, you know who deserves the most credit on this is uh, Tommy Kale. Because he asked me to fly into New York and audition opposite some pretty big names. Yeah. And um, Tommy really wasn't happy. And I was saying, can you wait one more day? Judith is in Washington, D.C., but she'll be in New York tomorrow. She wants to audition. Yeah. You know? And he didn't find anybody. So he said, well, we're going to see some other people tomorrow for other roles. So have Judith call me and. Well, I'll tell you, Judith auditioned, and Tommy said, could you wait in the outer room? And then he called me and goes, boy, did you call it. Wow. We're not letting her leave until she signs on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Tommy knew right away. But then, and I, I don't know, I, I'm sure Tommy knows, but uh, Tony Pontoro was told, they're never going to sell any tickets with me because I'm not a movie star. And now you've got two TV people in there. It's, yeah. The show will never run you know they were hoping to run 10 weeks they said it would never run 10 minutes and we ran almost 11 months yeah new england so, so it shows you what they know if yeah you got no, a good product and you got the right chemistry and so I, I remember when we had the first table read and i didn't know and i hadn't been looking i just yeah. knew who's the boss and and then there's chris sullivan robert and we just met and we were like oh, and I, I think it was sitting next to chris sullivan and i think he, he was kind of like oh you know we didn't know anything about judith light and the first 10 minutes of the play she's not in yeah and then she does her first line and i turn to chris and i go she's gonna win a tony yeah <laughs> right away i right. was like just right. that first like the the, yeah. the gravitas and the humor you know yeah. i was like oh this no she was, she, was and she did win a tony she won a tony for it and then just so, set she her didn't off win for Lombardi, oh she got nominated she won, right. yeah she was the only nomination we got and then she won I the next so, year and she won two years in a row two first years time in a row after it. anyone won supporting actress on broadway in two years in a row wow that's amazing yeah, yeah. and, and then, she's you know she's still i saw her uh i went to see laurie medcalf and john litgow and hillary and clinton which was 10 times better than i thought it would what be. was it called hillary, hillary and, and clinton, clinton? It was it's a play on, out here? No, in on Broadway. Oh, it's on Broadway. It's it's a hit and it deserves it. It's a wonderful play. And who was there? But Judith. And we went backstage and we talked. But I hadn't seen her in a while. We we still email. Once yeah, of course. But she's uh, she's just as charming. You know, mom. She's, yeah. We call her yeah. mom and yeah. She's the best. She's the best. Yeah. So let's go back to to uh, the, the the Dan Loria story. So you're you're in New York. You're doing plays. You're putting up grids. You're and you're also probably. Dan, and this is one of the things I learned about you as I got older. Maybe I don't want to like out you on this podcast, but um, the ladies love Dan Loria. The ladies? The ladies love Dan Loria. Wow. Dan. I've never heard that one before, but that's okay. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm polite on set, so the people I work with, <laughs> but not the audience. Ladies. But you, uh, and you, at one point you were married, right? You actually told me this advice, which has scarred me for life. <laughs> you said, you said, Oh God! I don't know if I should say this. We can always cut it out if you want. But it was it was funny. You're being tongue in cheek. Maybe you said, um, "Listen, if you get married, you might as well cheat because they're going to accuse you anyway." <laughs> and I was like, "I was like, Dad, you're like my second dad. Why would you say that?" I also gave you a good line. Remember what was the line? I said I was married for ten years. Felt like ten minutes underwater. Yeah. Okay. Let me just say this, and Tommy will appreciate this joke. So Dan told me that, and I was like, that's hilarious. 
10 years for like 10 minutes underwater. So I was like, I'm going to talk because I was remember my ex-girlfriend, Rachel. Right. We've been right. living together three years. So I said, like, oh, we lived together three years for like three minutes underwater. I did that joke. And then the owner of the Laugh Factory, Jamie, was like, buddy, buddy, you can't do that joke. I was like, why not? My friend, that's Dan. He's not a comic. He goes, that is all Tom Dreesen joke. You can't do that joke. That's buddy. a Tommy Dreesen joke? Yeah. No. You know how many no, jokes no, are a Tommy no. Dreesen joke? Well, I could imagine. Holy Tommy's shit. has been around. You look at Tommy forever. Dreesen uh, on stage. If you guys don't but know, I you should Google I didn't get that from Tommy. I just came up with it myself. Well, yeah. it's, it's a joke that's out there. So I was like, oh, I got to lose that joke. Anyway, yeah. but it was it was a good joke. So you were you were married. Wait, so let's do the progression. You're you're doing the plays and the light grids and the and crush and puss. And then you meet, uh, where'd you meet your ex-wife? Uh, she worked for ABC, but not on camera. And we Behind did a the charity, scenes. yeah, a charity thing. Yeah, and then we, got, I came out here, and after I got the one years, we got back together, and we were married. You know, oh, okay, so how, how, She's, how, you know, well, yeah, you know. you're friends with everybody. How did the um, Wonder Years come about? Because from doing like off, off Broadway and off Broadway to Wonder Years is about as big a jump as you can get. Yeah, I would. Uh, I did a guest spot on Growing Pains. Okay. And then Joanna Kearns. Had you been I, doing a lot of guest spots at this point? Was this like a big deal? Oh, yeah. When I came out here, I got lucky right away. I, yeah. was, I was doing just guest spots. You know, third guy through the door a lot, but then bigger ones and bigger ones. Yeah. And I did Growing Pains, and then Joanna Kearns and I were going out together. And then mm-hmm. I did another one. And they, Neil Marlins and Carol Black were on the writing staff of Growing Pains. They got married and they created the Wonder Years. Neil yeah. was from Long Island, so I, w- I was older than Neil. When when I was in high school, my high school was the big guns in sports. But yeah. when he was in high school, his South Huntington, they were the big guns. So we would always tease each other. Yeah. So the Wonder Years came along, and I couldn't get an audition. And Joanna Kearns, who's still directing to this day, is still as gorgeous as ever. Yeah. She said, did you get up for Neil's and carol's sitcom and i said no my agent can't get me in and she said well call neil he likes you you know and i said oh i can't do that and joanna kearns called neil oh wow and then she talked about 10 minutes she came out she goes you go there tomorrow he said you're perfect for this he's sorry he didn't think you know out of sight out of mind yeah yeah, yeah. and of course i showed up and you know i ended up getting it how, how, was a, it was a because now the process for getting like big parts of the tv i mean they're they're exhaustive. They have sometimes you have six, seven auditions. You have screen tests and network tests. Well, they always tests. put you on tape. You never get to act in front of the people. Yeah, but how, how many auditions did it take for you to get the part? Well, back then, um, I had one audition with the casting director. And then we had a call back, and that kind of surprised me because Neil and Carol weren't there. I didn't understand that callback. Then yeah. they had another callback, and Neil and Carol, and Neil and I just hit it off. Yeah. And he said, okay, you got to go to the network. But I almost blew that, you know. So, Why? Well, you know, they do that mystery thing. They put the people up in the dark, and they're like stadium seats. <laughs> oh, so it was like a, it was like a theater, yeah, like, like old school. Like a stadium school. thing, yeah, oh, old school, God. you know, and you're on the light. Like and, the Fosse auditions yeah, back in the well, day. So, I, you know, I, I did well. I, I felt I did well, and as I'm walking out, out of the dark, a voice goes, you realize this is a great role? And I, I said, well, Richard III's a great role, but this looks like a lot of fun. And Neil Marlin said, I could have killed you. Because <laughs> they didn't want me. They wanted a, they wanted a name. They kept pushing. Uh, what was the name that was? Elliot Gould was yeah. mentioned. And good actors. Not yeah, know, yeah, It Elliot wasn't Gould's... like I lost to somebody yeah. who couldn't act. And I think George Siegel was mentioned. And Neil and Carol Jesus. wanted it to be the everyday family the only one that was really known believe it or not was fred because he had fred done savage the, what? yeah he had done the boy who could fly I remember that. and he had done the princess bride oh that's right he was a kid in the princess right. bride he's the one peter fall yeah, yeah, yeah. a story to yeah so they didn't and Allie didn't want to play my wife she had a series but only lasted six episodes and was gone and even that they were questioning because Neil and Carol wanted it to look like the family next door, not like television people. Yeah. So, yeah. that's you know, it's the weird things, Bill. That's how things work. Yeah. And so, and so, when you got it, uh, obviously you're shooting pilot. You have no idea if this is going to go. You've done pilots before this. Uh, no, that was actually my first. Your first pilot. Pilot. Yeah. That's yeah. Nice. I was. I was. I. And how old? I don't want to. I don't want to age you, but how old are you at this point? You're like probably forty-four. Forty-four. Yeah. yeah. Allie thought it was a hit. I thought it was too good. 
Yeah. I said, this is not, this is too intelligent. They're not yeah. going to do this. Yeah. You know, I, I really thought it was too good, but Allie had a feeling it was a hit and Fred was so good. And yeah. He was such a pro even at 11 years old. So, yeah. You know. And I remember, and a lot of people are probably too young to remember this, but I remember, um, I was a little kid. Let's say yeah. I was five. <laughs> no, I was, I was, and, uh, it was after the Super Bowl. They'd been doing promos for a whole week, the Wonder Years. Yeah. And so you kind of, they kind of like chimney sweep brush crammed it down your throat. Uh, and so I remember me and my family, we watched it after the Super Bowl. I forget what Super Bowl it was. Um, I don't remember now. Um, really. yeah. But it was great. And, and we were all hooked. And I think it... I, I, yeah, it's so funny when you talk about numbers now. The numbers of of, of oh, yeah. people that well, watched a, sh- a, a network show then compared to now, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, what was the premiere numbers? Do you remember? I don't remember the premiere numbers, but I remember a lot of people in the business saying, "Yeah, wait till next week when you don't have the Super Bowl." Yeah, and we were actually higher. Really? That's crazy. That's so. And un- we won best show. We averaged almost thirty-three million people an episode. Jeez, thirty-three million episode, and yeah, now, now you, have, you got three million that stays on. You know? And this is us, which is a huge hit. Probably has like 10, 10, 12, 10, 15 10, 12. maybe. Yeah, you know. So wow, that's amazing. so when that yeah, when it's that a whole different, you know, yeah. when, when young people say, "Well, like, how do you get started?" And there's nothing I did that relates to what young people did. We did plays. Yeah, and they came. Now you do a play. I can't get my agent to come see my place. Yeah, you know? and it's on Broadway. Yeah, they don't want to. You know, they don't come. <laughs> yeah, they don't care. Yeah. Like, do you have a YouTube channel, Dan? That's that's what you got to do. Nah. Um, so when you uh, so when that happened, and this is I always love these stories too. And I know Dom Marrero, you know Dom Marrero yeah, too. Tom, yeah. When he did, um, he talked about doing young uh, Ronnie Dangerfield's young comics special or whatever. Right, and he said. You know, he just did it. He did set. It's, it still holds up if you look on YouTube. Uh, and then the next day, he had a headline gig in North Carolina, and it was a line around the corner. Oh, yeah. So, you know, life lives could change instantaneously. I think they still can, obviously. But um, but for you, when that show premiered, I mean, what happened with your life? It must have changed right away, huh? Yeah, I, I mean, I could sell tickets in the theater. That's all I cared about. You know, really? Now I did a play. Is that all you really cared about? Yeah, yeah. You didn't ever care about like stardom or being. No, a- I uh, see. I was very fortunate from day one in New York City. Uh, the great actor Charles Durning was yeah. like my dad. Yeah. So he he would always say, just you always focus on the acting and never grow up. You know. So I, I still get excited now about an audition. Yeah. You know, I never go to an audition Jaded. thinking no, thinking to get a job. I don't care if they hire me. Yeah. That's not my job. Yeah, I give an all-out performance. I never go in with a script. I got five minutes to act. Hell with you guys. You never go with your your sides. Never. Are you like the Rain Man? How do you memorize shit like that? You just I memorize something every day. I try yeah. to do that. You know, yeah. I read something aloud every day. Usually when I'm sitting on the throne. But yeah, <laughs> you know, you do. Yeah, let me. I'll give you. I'll give you one that I uh, tell young kids when I lecture at college. The worst day in this business for me and the best day were the same day. I was doing a lot of plays off-Broadway, won some awards. This woman, Paula Sindlinger, who was a commercial agent at an agency, and she really liked us. She was such so great. And I went to her and I said, how come the legit people won't come see me? I'm, you know, and she said, because you're nothing. And I said, yeah, I know, Paul, but I'm, I don't have a name, but I'm building one. You know? And she goes, no, no, Dan, you don't understand. You're nothing. You're not tall. You're not short. You're not handsome. You're not ugly. They don't know how to sell you. Yeah. You're nothing. Yeah. And that was the worst day in my over 40 years in the business, that moment. Huh. That night, I went over to Charles Durning's house because he would watch old movies and show me how to steal things. <laughs> and he was talking, you know, about something Anthony Quinn was doing, and he realized I was down. And he turned off the TV. He goes, "What the hell's the matter with you?" And I told him what happened. And he punched me in the arm, and he said, "You lucky son of a bitch." And I said, "What are you talking about?" He says, "That means when they know you can act, you can play everything. How would you like to be a little short, fat fuck like me?" <laughs> And he said, you let them take your acting away. 
They can take everything else away. They can take away jobs. They can, the wrong people could be hired. But if you let them take your acting away, then you're done. Yeah. Never let them take your acting away. Yeah. So when I go up for an audition, if they, all I care about is acting. I can't control anything else they do. Yeah. You know? You, yeah. you can control your performance. You can, for you as a stand-up, to be able to control your performance when the audience is rolling with everything or when you have to work that extra more to maneuver them, that's what you can control. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it must be great as a stand-up to have this great material that works four times, kills them, and then the fifth time something's happening. Yeah. You know, I'd almost be... If I was you, I'd be waiting for that night. How am I going to work this around? Yeah. I can do this. It's not me. There's something going on here that I'm not in control of, but I got to learn how to use it. And I'm gonna it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. I always think, I always remember, I thought about it today. I thought about a show where I bombed. I, I had a co-host, a guy named Seth Herzog. Shout out Seth Herzog in New York. He has a show called Sweet, which is an alt comedy show, right. which isn't necessarily my wheelhouse. But I've done his show several times. And I do I do pretty well. He went to Paris and he needed a co-host. He needed a guest host. So he asked me. Um, in retrospect, probably because other people said no. So I did it. I brought my friend Amir Arison. I don't know if you met Amir. He's on the blacklist. He's a New York. He's a yeah, theater. yeah, I know who he is. We did Muscles in Our Toes. Did you see Muscles in Our Toes? Stephen Belber played. Anyway, yeah. so... um. Uh, I came in, and it was two days after Harvey Weinstein's stuff came out. And I don't necessarily, like, my material is necessarily woke, uh, and I definitely have stuff that represents a cis male, white male yeah. <laughs> point of view that involves sex and different things. And I, everything I said was like a Led Zeppelin. So I was trying to, um, I was trying to get, I was trying to, Get Amir, he was my co-host, like Paul Schaefer, get him, right. and he was just like retreating into the darkness, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fucking touch this guy, um, and it, so I, he created a, a negative. Yeah, you know, no, I, I, I was like, you fucking asshole. Too. I needed, yeah. I tried to talk about the Harvey one. I think there was like like two days. It was right after too close, too my soon. friend Lawrence Savon talked about how he jerked off into a plant. I was like, hey guys, you know all this stuff like with the me too what about the poor plan you know it's just sitting there minding its own business and some you know fat dude comes on no no laughter and this woman's like uh i get heckled by a comic in the back this woman jenna friedman starts going like get off stage i'm like who is that? i'm like oh it's the comic i'm bringing up next uh and uh and I th I've thought about that a lot because obviously it's it, you learn more when you fail than when you succeed, and you yeah. learn more when you bomb. You probably m learn more from a play that doesn't work than a play that does work. Ha just getting there on time every night. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. a play yeah, yeah. doesn't work, having to muster it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you never know who's out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, now I don't want to keep you too long, and I know I know you're long, well enough to know that when you're sitting in the shady chair, you start rubbing your legs. Oh no, I'm, I'm good. like I'm, good. I'm like okay. <laughs> well, do you have anything that um. Uh, that you like if you were to give advice to young people in the business because the business in terms of a comic or an actor it's all kind of the same beast in a way yeah is there anything that, what do you tell because I know you you love hanging out with young kids and young ladies no but what is <laughs> what is the uh, are you dating anyone now by the way not really you know whatever <laughs> I don't you know one of the reasons why I get in, I get in uh, you know I do well with the ladies because I never talk about them Mm, yeah, that's good. Take a, yeah, see? We have a whole thing with Smart, Tommy. We're trying yeah. to get Tommy into the uh, thing. Yeah. No, I, uh, you know, I'll give you. Uh, I, I think I know what you. I'll give you one. Charles Durning. Um, I've knew him from the first day in the business, and whenever he saw everything I ever did, and every time I did a play or something, he'd put his arm around me and go, "Another twenty years, you'll be an actor." You know, and I'd say the same thing. Yeah, Charlie, I'll keep working it. So I'm doing a play with Jack Klugman, who was my other mentor, Value of Names. Jack, if you ever said to Jack, we were good tonight, he'd go, wow, we're always good. That's not what it's about. You know? Now, we would go to dinner a lot. It would be Charlie, Jack, Dom DeLuise, and Peter Falk. Mm -hmm. We'd Jesus. always, yeah, it was great. So Jack and I are doing a play. It was a Sunday night, and... Charlie, Peter, and Dom, they came together to see us. 
And Jack comes backstage. He goes, now we got to do it for us. Don't do it for them. Don't get caught up. And I said, Jack, what are you going to do? Shave my head and send me back to Nam? Come on. <laughs> I said, like you said, we're always good. He goes, you're right. You're right. Let's have fun. And I, and I don't know what happened. We just had one of those magic nights, yeah, you yeah. know. Yeah. I don't, as we're bowing, Jack says, we got to get the boys together, find out what the hell we did right tonight. <laughs> so we go out to dinner. And it was a great night. Everybody was talking about those magic nights on stage. Never criticism. It was always about what makes you better or what yeah. makes you worse. You know, and Charlie, very emotionally, he puts his arm around me and he goes, all right, another 10 years you'll be an actor. <laughs> and I said, what well, I always say, yeah, Charlie, I'll keep working. And Jack Klugman, without missing a beat, he leans in and he says, Charlie, are you an actor yet? And Charles Durning holds his fingers out about an inch apart, and he says, Jack, I'm getting damn close. Wow. And Peter Falk reached over and pushed his fingers together and says, I think you're there, Charlie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, see, that's the attitude they had. You know, yeah. We're lucky to be in a business that we can never be as great as we want to be as long as we keep trying yeah know? yeah so and that's the only thing we have now the technology is just would you think that the technology and what's happening with content and everything do you think that's sort of shifted that that paradigm do you think that having that blue collar work ethic sort of plays into a career the same way or do you think it's sort of it been definitely subverted? doesn't play into the career but you got to get beyond that you notice independent filmmakers and even the ones that have been nominated long takes without cuts yeah you know, um, I don't want to mention, I will mention, Argo. Okay. One best picture. The longest take is 27 it's seconds. It's a piece of shit movie anyway. Well, you want to know why Ben Affleck didn't get nominated for best director? Is because there is no direction. You just feel, personally, I think he's a decent actor, but there is no direction. And when you leave the camera alone, you got to remember everybody has to be good. And I'm not meaning just the actors. The dolly grip has to be good the boom yeah. operator has to keep the shadow off the focuser has to be everybody has to be good the dialogue has to be good the actors have to be good the director has to be good as soon as you cut nobody has to be good yeah and we are now trying to sell the lowest common denominator to our audience the only good thing I see is that forces these very creative people to go make their own movies, have Final Cut, mm -hmm. and there is a market. There'll always be some channel on cable or somebody that will show these. You know, when I started, there were only 20 independent movies made a year. You yeah. needed a generator, you needed cable, yeah. but all 20 were seen. Yeah. Now, that's just a thousand a year. God knows what little gems are we're mm -hmm. missing because we just don't have time or a place to see them. Yeah. So I got a feeling eventually there'll be a way for those to come up. Yeah. If you think streaming is the last thing, you're wrong. Yeah. Five well, years ago, you thing? said, I don't know, but it's going to be something else. Yeah. You know, it's going to be something else where, you know, I don't know, you tap a button and it appears somewhere in your mind. <laughs> hey, Einstein said if you could imagine it, it could exist. So. Yeah. And I do think there's something weird now that you go on. I go, oh, I'm going to go Netflix and chill with myself or whatever. And you look on the – and, like, you just scroll. Like, I, I, I don't – Yeah, how many times have you gone through all the channels and never stopped on one? That will be a whole evening, just yeah. me scrolling. Yeah. So, Which is where if you put on an old movie and they're not jumping around, you kind of get into it a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can watch It's a Wonderful Life every year because you're taken from your couch and brought to Bedford Falls. Yeah. But a modern movie, when it goes cut, 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 you never leave your couch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it might be coming back to that because people might be getting sick of that whole style. Well, anyway. I, I think stand-up has had a lot to do with that. It really? Is, yeah, because you cannot fake it. You mm -hmm. know, it's live. You're there. You hear a live audience. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, and God, the singers I grew up with wouldn't even get a contract today. Yeah. You know? Aretha Franklin was not a, a woman who was going to wear black uh, stockings and go out with pyrotechnics. She just sang, and yeah. you appreciated the voice, the Frank Sinatras and all yeah. that. Well, you look what Tony Bennett's doing now. He's singing with young people like Lady Gaga. Yeah. And what is he saying? This is a trained singer. Forget all the bullshit. Just listen to her sing. And, yeah. of course, she delivers. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. So there is a market, and I think stand-up has a lot to do with it because it, it is the one thing on TV we want to see live without all the cutting and everything. We want to make us laugh. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're successful enough. They always had comics that became TV and movie stars, always. Even before TV, Red Skelton, Jack Benny, they all became movies. And you see it today with uh, Ray Romano and yeah. you know and they become uh, you look at Ray Romano he's very interesting to me when he started his show he was literally the least talented actor oh yeah on that show and now he's become a very he was very great good with Big actor. Sick oh he he's I, boy I'd like to do a play with him we gotta yeah. con him into a play or something yeah. I wish I knew him better because <laughs> I got a feeling he would deliver yeah yeah for I sure. just saw the progression but you know you work with Peter Boyle you you work with uh, Doris Roberts yeah something come, wears off yeah and Absolutely. he's got that bug. I think Charlie Downey would have liked him. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I see that in another eye. Robin Williams, for sure. Yeah, he's like yeah. That, you know. And so what's uh, so let's let's get you out of here, Dan, because uh, mm-hmm. you know you've been here for long. And uh, man, you're you're like you're like my second dad. You know that. <laughs> I love no, you. No, I love doing this. It's so uh, what uh, what else? What, what can we see you in next? What's do you have anything coming up? Do you have anything? I'm waiting for a call. Maybe I can do two episodes of uh, Tony Shalhoub's show, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. So, oh, that'd be great. Yeah. I, um, I I was close to getting the part of the brother of the manager, which is weird oh. because I'm so not, I'm such a ginger, but I like kind of dyed my hair brown and I did my like Long Island type of thing. Oh, yeah. And I was close. Didn't get it. Moving on. Anyway, uh, so, but that'd be great. I still think you're going to get your own series. I've always said that. You may have to write it though. And get yeah. a couple of us, oh, like me and Judith, to go shoot a scene. You bring it in with them. Hey, we would anything. do it for you. Of course, you would. you're the best at. Now you are actually, as much as you're like an old movie aficionado and old school, you do have handles. You do have an Instagram, right? Uh, I pay somebody to do that. <laughs> I, I don't know what to do. On it's that. at Dan Loria. Yeah, so I people can at least follow me. what you're. What you're. Yeah, I know. I don't. Somebody will call me and say, you know, what's on your Facebook? You know, <laughs> my. my Godson's mother does that for me. Oh, okay. I, I don't know how to do all that. I can't stop yeah. the clock from beeping, you know. The, the what? The time on the, on the on the microwave, you know how You it still keeps... have a clock? Oh, well, well then the, the microwave, microwave yeah. Clock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know how to make it stop. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I just act. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Anyway, Dan, thank you so much for coming, man. You're one of my favorite people. I love you, dude. Oh, anytime. Uh, you're the best. And uh, that's it. Signing off from The Afterlife with Dan Loria. Bye-bye. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Go ahead, pull up a chair. <laughs>